Philippians. Philippians 3, 13 through 15. Love how it, uh, you never, it, it, you know, it really just shows God's, God's providence and timing and planning. Because that, that song really goes well with the message today. You know, by the end of the, you'll, you'll see how uh, we need God's grace. need it on a daily basis. So not just for this. I want to ask you this question. It's the title of my message. I've actually got three or four titles, but it's actually one, one title, truly. Um, what if, what if there's been how many times you've asked that question? What if I would have done this? What if it would have went this? What if I had said this? What if? Or if I only did it this way, or if I only reacted this way, if I only had this or had that, or I should have. Boy, I wish I'd have done it that way. How many people said that before? Yeah, yeah. Or I wish, you know, whatever. So as, as we look at this, I want you to keep those questions in mind. That's, you know, those are, that's, I don't know if we can call that one title. I just called it What If. Because we're going to fill in the blank. We're going to fill in the blank there. And I'd like to preach on this thought of regret. And I would bet that everyone in here, youngsters included, probably have a truckload of them in their back pocket, don't they? I'm sure you're even thinking of a few right now. Or quite a few. Tons, maybe one, maybe two. But some of our biggest regret, our biggest regrets, or my coming from me, uh, was when I was a teenager. And one of the things that that I regret the most, and and I always tend to go this, and the and the boys remind me of this quite often, is how I kind of quit on sports. I regretted doing that only because I never really knew how far I could go. I knew how good I was. I just didn't know how far I could go. I know I would have been able to probably win a state title too in wrestling. Wouldn't doubt that a bit. I don't know how well I'd done in baseball or how far I would have been able to go. I decided to do track. I got tired of baseball. So I opted to go with track. And I was definitely a far better baseball player than I was uh, a, a track athlete. However, I was, just, I was just tired of the politics of it. You know, and, and all of you know, you know, not put aside the, the whole voting thing, but you've all been in school and in situations where you know you're a better person than the one that's in that position. However, because of certain situations, or it's not how you do, but it's who you know. You've known that before. It's who you know, and you end up, getting kind of brushed aside all because of those things. I just got tired of that, so I just kind of gave it up on it. But instead, I, I was given actually an option, and, and that option was to chase girls, and I took girls over sports. It's kind of a guy thing. Who wouldn't, right? This wise, the wise ones, that's who wouldn't. You know, I wish I'd have... And, and when it came to the military, too, I was on my last deployment, okay? And I had all my paperwork filled out to stay in, 
and I was making my enlistments. I was doing everything I was supposed to do, and I had all that stuff turned in as I was supposed to before I left because my window was coming open. And I got halfway through my deployment and called back and, you know, asked my squadron how things are going. And they said, well, we forgot this form. And so nothing happened. So basically I was kind of pushed aside. And I just kind of wish I might have a little fought maybe more. And, and that always comes to mind now because right now, um, well, actually it would have been the end of, end of July, I would have had my 20 years in by now. It had been 20 years. And, of course, that had been a nice retirement, would have been nice nest egg and things, but, you know, I just wish I had fought for it a little bit more, but I just kind of looked at it as maybe God's providence to have to go somewhere else. And these are a few of the things that I regret. You know, and on, on a daily basis, we make thousands of decisions. Most of them are probably correct. Some of them maybe less correct than, than, than what it could have been, but it's still a correct decision. It's not a wrong one. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just there might have been a better way or a better decision you could have made. But there are also some times there where we make decisions that are less than favorable, don't we? And the outcome doesn't, doesn't turn out the way we want it, or to put it bluntly, it was just a plain sinful decision. You know, I think of, um, think of a lot of Bible characters that come in. I think of Eve, right? Did you ever wonder, did you ever think, does Eve regret eating that fruit? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Or do you ever wonder what it might have been like had she not ate the fruit? How would, it, how would the world turn out? How about a little story here about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were three rebellious little brats that decided to challenge Moses' authority. So uh, they were in the temple there challenging Moses' authority. Uh, God said, I ain't going to have none of that. Moses, go and call them out. And he called them out right there in front of the temple. He had opened up the earth. And Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all their families, their kids, everything that they had, all fell in a hole. All fell in a pit. The Bible said it was a great opening in the earth. They had a straight ticket to hell, a one-way ticket to hell. Off they go. And the earth closed back up. How about Achan? We talk about this story in, in, in uh, uh, class quite a bit. Achan. Uh, we make fun of it a little bit. We call it Achan Stole the Bacon. That's, that's our title. Uh, we, we make up some fun titles of stories. But Achan, Achan decided he wanted to steal some of the Babylonian garments and a couple wedges of gold there and, and some other items. And it put his family in jeopardy. It put 3,000 soldiers in jeopardy. Not only was it a great humiliation to Israel. You had this, you this small little city, not very big, ended up stopping a force pushed by God. We just sacked a huge city, and we didn't even have any siege weapons. But yet this little city that's unguarded, nothing's around it, there's no walls, no nothing, it's just sitting out there. Everybody, anybody can just walk in, take what they want, and walk back out. But they got beat. Why? Because Israel was in sin. And result, Achan and all of his family were stoned. Everything that he had was thrown in a pit, and all of Israel stoned Achan and all of his family, and 3,000 soldiers also died. Another one that comes to mind, a great regret. What about David and Bathsheba? I bet you David was, was certainly laying there for seven days regretting the things that he did. 
He killed a, a woman's husband, one of his generals, one of his dearest friends, because he didn't want to fess up to the adultery. So their son died together. Absalom died. Amnon died. Tamnar was disgraced and stuck in a tower because of what happened between Amnon. And then his great-grandson, Rehoboam, split the kingdom. All because of one sin. All because of David's decision. And I'm sure there's many, many other characters that we can think of. That, I mean, the list can go on and on. The Bible is filled with, with those that have bad decisions. Well, what I want to talk to you today is how to get past those bad decisions. How to get through. Because we still carry the scars of those regrets, don't we? We still have them on our back, on our arms, in our mind, on our souls, and our emotions. And we keep on thinking back about what if, what if. And there are probably some questions and some things that if, you'd have, if, if I'd have just did this, your life would be completely different than what it is now, wouldn't it? So look with me here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count it not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. This is Paul. Imagine the things that Paul did, especially while he was Saul. Before he became Paul. And this is what he's saying. I want you to keep in that mind for a second. Keeping all the Christians that he murdered, thrown in jail, thrown in the deepest pits, and persecuted. And this is what he says. I count myself to have apprehended this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to take a moment here and and learn what Paul is saying and then help us more importantly to apply these verses to our lives. Lord Jesus, we all in here have a load of regrets, each and every one of us, trainfuls. And Lord, some of them hang us up. Some of them keep us from Christian growth. Some of them keep us from being all that we can be for you. Help us, Lord, to take these three steps that Paul did to be able to apply them to our lives and to get past those regrets so we can be a better beacon and a better light to you. Amen. Let me read that again. There's three verbs in here that we're going to pay very close attention to. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things forth unto those which were those things which were before. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look with me, therefore. On the first part there, where it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting. Forgetting. It's kind of hard to forget, isn't it? It's kind of hard to forget. Now, I got, it was put to me this way. That, that kind of rang true. Forgetting, or being able to forget. Forgetting is not remembering this decision and not retaining 
the emotional baggage that came with it. See, sometimes we can forget people, or we can forgive people. And sometimes we can, we can just not remember some of those things that we did. You ever remember, think of the old, the, 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 our, our, our parents here, for example, when your kids come up to you when they're a little bit older. Dad, do you remember when I did this? How stupid was I? Have you guys done that yet? Some of the parents here might have had that decisions before. And I, I remember, I, my parents even sometimes remind me of things that I did that I don't remember. So they were able to forget. But, but the thing that helps them remember those situations is the emotional distress, the baggage that came along with that particular situation. See, we can forget it sometimes when it doesn't apply to us, or we can forget it when it was really a horrible thing, but we can't get rid of that emotional baggage, can we? That thing that holds it onto us, and that's what Satan, that's, that's how he gets in there. He'll get you, he'll put you in a place and a time to help you remember that situation. You may not remember what happened, but there'll be some way that Satan will get in there to remind you, and it's usually through that emotional baggage. So how do you fight those things? Turn with me to Psalms 51.10. Psalms 51.10. we got a couple of verses we're going to look at here that's going to help us in our, uh, in our pursuit of forgetting. And you know, that's the one thing that... That is the one thing that's so wonderful about God. Because the Bible says that not only does he register our sins, it's under the blood, he doesn't even remember them. I mean, it's, it's as if it doesn't even exist to him when we sin. It's covered under the blood. I don't remember it. What are you talking about? You know, that's pretty awesome to hear from an all knowing, all seeing, almighty God. It's kind of befuddling. Well, how do you not remember? God, you know everything. He just chooses not to. He chooses not to look at that. And this is how he does it. Psalms 51.10. This is after, this is, Psalms 51 was written when, uh, after David and Bathsheba had their thing there, and David was called out by Nathan, and, 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 and David cried out to God for forgiveness. And this is what he says, 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And any time that you fall into those remembrances, remember these verse, this verse in particular, it's just, just a few words. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Say it as a prayer. And renew a right spirit within me. Because you know at that moment, you're not in the right spirit with God, are you? Because you're remembering stuff that you're told to forget. Think of it this way. Forgetting actually is a commandment. Forgetting those things in the past. God says move on. Don't worry about it. You can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't alter it, can you? So why are you going to dwell on it? It's not going to change anything by you dwelling on it. But what it will do is keep you from getting closer to God, now won't it? So he says, renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. 2 Corinthians 10.5, run there real quick, on the other side of the gamut. Use your Bible a little bit, help you stay awake. I know I'm nice. And George told me yesterday, he said he was going to bring, a, did, did you bring it? He was going to bring an extra thing of coffee and snacks while I preached to keep him awake. 
I said, well, if you do that, then I'm going to preach a little longer because I know you ain't got to go worry about going to lunch. You're going to be nice and filled. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Another great one to help us fight these emotions, fight these, these remembrances to help us to forget. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought. Say it with me. Every thought. To what? To the obedience of Christ. In other words, what this verse is saying is when you say it, you are asking to be Christ-minded. And you are searching for the mind of Christ. That's what that's saying there. Bringing into every thought, every, every, every uh, uh, piece of knowledge, everything that you know, bringing it into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. So in other words, you're saying every thought that you should think of is of Christ, not of what you were worried about. Your fears, your shortcomings, your strengths, your weaknesses, your situation. Bring it all into the obedience of Christ. And by doing that, that, help, that is helping us to forget. One last verse here. Luke 9.62. You probably all know this. This is an interesting situation here. This is part of, of, not, of, of helping us to, to not forget. And this is, this is also the result of our remembrances. Luke 9.62. Got a few farmers in here. You can help me out with this one. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's that saying there? That's saying that any man that has regrets about getting saved isn't fit to be saved. Because if you have regrets, chances are you probably aren't saved. It's probably a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge. You haven't made it your own. Or any other situation. We can think of several people that went to Christ when uh, they were coming to disciples. The rich man, right? Remember the rich man? Or, or all three of the men. One guy comes up and says, what do I got to do to, to, uh, uh, to be a disciple? And he says, get rid of everything and follow me. He says, well, but I can't do that. Because I, I, I got a lot of riches, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well to do. Well, Jesus, my mom and dad, I, I, I got to go marry my mom and dad. I'm their only son. I'm their only daughter. I'm the only one that can take care of them. Well, forsake them and follow me. And at that point in time also, their mom and dad was not ready to die yet. They still had a number of years to go. So in other words, he was looking for excuse. He wanted all the, all the glories and riches that came with following Christ, but he also wanted to hold on to the world. I want you, God, but I also want the world, too. Got to have them both. But he says that any man that put his hand to a plow and looks back, what happens when you're looking back? What happens? Hey, great example. What happens when you're looking around when you're driving sometimes? 
Sometimes when you're getting a little tired, you know, you're trying to look around to, to keep from falling asleep, or you're getting a little bored, or the only thing you're seeing is corn, 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 corn. And you're getting a little tired of seeing corn, so you look somewhere else. What happens with the steering wheel when you look that way? Your plow goes the same way. When you sit there, you plow, and you got your oxen going, you're looking back to see what's happening, where you're going. You can't see what you're going forward to, can you? If I'm looking back, I ain't looking forward. And if I'm looking back, I don't know what forward is. I don't know where I'm going. But every step that you take, you can't take them back. I've already made them. And that road that you plowed by looking back takes too much time to go fix. You've already messed it up. You just got to press on. You've already messed that up. You can't go back and correct it. Because it's going to mess a lot, of stuff, a lot of other stuff up, as well as waste a lot of time. And farmer's time is your enemy. Because you've got winter, you've got rains, you've got to get the seeds in the ground, you've got to get your work done in order to get the harvest up, or your family's going to starve for the winter. You don't have time to look back. That's the same with the Christian life. God offers us so much We just want to look back. Well, God, you know, if I'd, if I'd have just, I don't know, if I'd have just, you know, 2000 maybe if I'd have put a couple bucks down on Microsoft, I'd have been a billionaire by now. Or the whole Internet industry. Or, uh, uh, you know, God, I, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have did that, now it was kind of stupid. Well, what's it going to change? But every time you look back, it takes up thoughts of Christ, doesn't it? It takes, up, it takes up your mind. It consumes you. No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So our first bird was forgetting. How do we forget? Pretty much got to make it a effort. It takes work. Everything from in this book, from cover to cover, that God asks us to do takes work. It takes effort. And God's going to bless that effort and that work. What do we got to do next? So after we forget, let's look at the next part there. In verse 13, down in the middle there, it says, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before. You ever been in that situation where you maybe sitting in a chair, sitting on the couch, or sitting at a desk or something, and you're, you're tending to be a little lazy, or maybe you're driving along the road and you drop your favorite pen, or you drop something in between the seats, and you're trying to reach in between the seat while you're trying to do something else at the same time, to save time, you can feel it, I know it's there, I can feel it on my fingertips, but you're just, oh, so close. So you're kind of manipulating it, kind of working it around to where you can reach up and grab it or trying to move it somewhere else to where it makes it easier to grab. And that's what this, that's what reaching here is implying. The word reaching in the Greek means to follow or ensue, to chase after, to go get it. If you're reaching for the stars or reaching toward heaven, you certainly can't look back, can you? 
Because what's going to happen the moment you do while you're reaching? Something bad's going to happen. You're going to make a bad mistake. So once you're done reaching, or reaching is actually giving us a command for the next part here. Look at me at verse 14. Verse 14 says, I press toward the mark. And again, that word press, it's, it's a more intense word than reaching. It has the same idea, but a little bit more concern. A little bit more um, intensity. And see, when we put these together, this gives us a direction and a goal. When we press toward the mark, what is the mark? Well, we could take out a few words here. Look at me just for a second. We're going to kind of trim the, trim the fat off here a little bit here. It says, I press toward the mark. Of what? Instead of saying, for the prize, it says, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. That's our direction. That's our goal. Our goal is to be with Jesus. Our goal is to want to go and... What are the words I'm trying to say here? Exemplify Jesus. We want to get so close to Him that when people look at us, that's who they see. They see Jesus. They don't see, they don't see Rich Ryle. They see Jesus. They don't see Jason. They see Jesus. They don't see Josh. They see Jesus. Got the J thing going on there. I thought it was pretty cool. There's my alliteration, preacher. Love you. Oh, Mark fell off again. I always knock that thing off. I'm going to glue it on there. Might not be able to use it after that. But that intensity of pressing toward the mark. And the mark, the mark is a target. It's a bullseye. It's a direction. I can't hit my direction Looking back there, I can't hit my mark right there. Now, of course, you know, you got Annie Oakley and all those gun tricksters and things that are using the mirror, shooting behind there. We watched Top Shot a couple of times and all those trick shots and things there, you know, hitting four different metal pieces to hit the mark. But you know how long they had to train for that? It takes a lot of training to do that. But this here, it just takes obedience. It's simply obedience. That's all it is. How easy is that? Ah, oh, but it's pretty hard, isn't it? It's not as easy as you think. Easier said than done, right? You know, an illustration is when the Navy SEALs, when they go out at night to do their Navy SEAL thing, they have with them a laser, okay? And they're going out and they're doing what they term painting the target. So what happens is they'll go and they'll stand however far away the laser is. I don't know the specs. But they will shine this laser on their target. And then a laser-guided missile fired from some plane somewhere else miles away. And this missile will go within inches of where that laser lands. Wherever I paint that laser, that is where. That's the mark. That laser is the mark. And that's what we have to, we have to be laser focused as we are to pursue Christ. And that's the idea here, 
is to paint the target. The target is Christ. And we want to put our laser sight eyes and our heart and our soul and everything we can on him. See that laser? When they shoot the laser, it doesn't go around this way. It doesn't go around turns. It doesn't bounce off mirrors. It doesn't do one of these numbers and come back and paint something behind them. It only goes forward. That laser only points where that soldier puts it. And that's what we need to do too. We need to put our heart, souls, and minds pointed on this book and only look forward because the past is the past. There's nothing we can do with it. You know, and even, even in our bad decision, though, and this is what makes God so great, besides many other things. What makes God so great is he even takes those situations, your bad decisions, and he can still make it work. He does it all the time. He does it all the time. You know, in my pursuit after girls, I got my wife. Along with them, all four of the kids. Not a bad decision, I think. Except for the one in the back, though. Yeah, it's Josh. You know, by not going to the military, by not sticking around in the military or pursuing that hard, went to Bible college, and as a result, hundreds of souls that may have never been able to receive Christ was able to at that point in time. And, and I always think of Clyde. Uh, I've told you this several times before. Clyde was a uh, wonderful old black guy that was sitting on his porch. Jehovah's Witnesses just went up to him. I think we were maybe minutes. I think I seen him walk off when we were walking up. That was kind of what drew me to him. I knew what was going on. And he goes, you know, I didn't have my glasses on me, so they gave me that Watchtower book, but I didn't read it. I said, here, let me help you with that. And he had a trash can right there on his porch. I went and threw it away. I said, you don't want none of this stuff. He goes, oh, so what do I want? I said, well, let me tell you. And I led him to Christ. Three weeks later, three weeks later, he had a massive heart attack and died. What if I went to the military? What if I stayed in? What if I got my 20 years? There's a good chance that Clyde could be in hell today. Even though our regrets, they weigh us down. But they can also be used. Even though I didn't participate in sports like I wanted to. But I got two boys that have got numbers of trophies. One went to state in baseball for all-stars. Something I never did, but I helped him get there. I got a couple other kids. I got a kid that, that won just a couple of dollars on a scholarship in bowling. I can't bowl to save my life. But he won, a, he won a little bit of scholarship. And then my daughter's doing really good in it too. They both like it. That's a sport I didn't that, That's a leisure sport to me. I mean, that ranks just right above golf because I don't golf. So I'll go bowling, but I won't go golfing. I thought philosophy is behind golf is that if I got to chase after a white ball, I ain't doing it. If I'm going to hit it, it's coming back at me. Somebody else is going to chase it for me. 
Yeah. You know, and even for wrestling, I was able to coach a team when I was at Kadena, or um, at Yakota. They went down to Kadena, and they won what they call the Sunshine Belt, which there was, like, I think about 10 schools. That was kind of the Southwest Pacific region type of, you know, um, Japanese don't have, they don't have wrestling, they have judo. But they still have, they still do wrestling. And so there were several American schools from all the bases, plus a few Japanese schools. And the school that I helped to train won that, and I had a couple of kids who I helped hand in hand win their specific divisions as well. So even though I didn't get to do it, I was able to help somebody get there. And maybe for my decisions, I might not have been able to have that. You know, we think of, you know, Cora, Dathan, and Abiram makes for, great, makes for a great example of what happens when you try to step up and be God. We know what happens with Satan. David and Bathsheba, even through all their regrets and through their situation, we still got Solomon. And the country itself was led to dizzying heights that it's never seen before. That the next time they see that type of prosperity is going to be in heaven when Jesus comes back. You know, even though our regrets, they weigh high on us and, and, and they get to us. And Satan uses those against us. But we've got the Bible. Would God say, would Jesus say when he was up on the tower? He was being cast down from the tower when Satan was testing him. All three of the times, what happened? What did he say every time? He used the word of God. Every time Satan came and attacked him, he used the word of God. And that's our example. It may take more than three times for you because the regrets and the situation that we have may be a little bit deeper than what Christ was. So it may take a little bit longer, may take a few more times, may take a couple more verses. But no matter how many times you say 5110, Psalms 5110, it's still good. It still works. Anytime you read the Bible and you stand up to Satan, it still works. He's going to come back harder and stronger and meaner. But it don't matter how many missiles he throws at you. You've got a shield of faith wherewith you can quench every fiery dart of the wicked. It didn't say some of them. It didn't say few of them. It didn't say particular ones. It said everyone. Every one. There's a Bible promise for you, isn't there, Miss Dockery? Talking about that in Sunday school class, or in, in our family Bible hour this morning. 800, uh, I bet you there's probably more than 8,500 promises, too. I'll take 85. I like that. It's a nice number. I'll take 10,000 too. It's almost how much words are in the Bible. A little over 10,000. Every word's a promise. But that's how we got to do it. We have to forget. And it's a fight. But if we press toward the mark and reach for the goal of the high calling, that's going to help us a lot better to forget and help us a lot better to reach our goal. How about we stand here? Brother George, we're gonna we got a song or how the pastor had this set up for us. We'll stand and we're gonna do our invitation song there. But as you sing the words, you know, and that, that was what was so great about grace is greater than all our sins. 
That's what, that's what it's going to take. Lots of grace, lots of mercy, lots of Jesus. That's how we get rid of our regrets. That's how we look forward.